Powered by Righteous Media. What's up, guys? Welcome to episode 15 of the Firefighters Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Serra. Unfortunately, we have to start off with some more bad news for the fire service this week, as Captain Vidal Max Fortuna from Stockton, California, was shot and killed while responding to a dumpster fire. He was just 47 years old. Also on the FDNY front, the death of Andrew Hornbuckle from Ladder 109 has been upgraded to World Trade Center related and is now deemed line of duty. As far as the shooting goes, I'll I'll just say uh, this has to stop. You know, this isn't new, and you're going to hear some of it in this episode. Uh, but I don't understand. You know, I remember our rig getting shot at uh, when I worked in Brooklyn. I remember uh, our chauffeur was checking the standpipe in a uh, you know multiple dwelling and an air conditioner. A window air conditioner landed uh, about a foot away from him, which would have killed him had it landed on his head. Uh, people throw things. People attack us. This isn't anything new, but uh, you certainly don't like to hear about one of the brothers getting shot um, simply for doing his job. Um, it's sad, and it's something I, I, I brought up in most of my meetings in Washington, uh, is that if we don't take care of the people that show up in our worst times, who's going to be left to show up, you know? And I think that's something you're going to see, uh, in this interview coming up, um, is that there are people, uh, that show up when the shit hits the fan. And those are the people, uh, that we need to embrace, that we need to hold up and that we need to hold on to. Um, we need to make sure that we help the helpers every chance we get. And it's another sad day. Um, this year isn't starting out very well, but uh, we'll press on. With a bit of good news this week, my wife and I celebrated our 14th wedding anniversary. So once again, I'd like to wish her a happy anniversary. And uh, here's to many more. For this week's roll call, um, and in the spirit of pressing on, I'm going to discuss the fire in which the ceiling fell on my head. Uh, today is actually the... 12th anniversary of that fire. Um, subsequently, my wife and I had plans that night uh, to go to dinner in the Ranger game where we had glass seats, um, which unfortunately we had to skip because I was in the hospital. And so here we go. Uh, it was one of those days. Uh, it was snowing. Uh, There's about a foot of snow on the ground. We had just come back from an EMS run. Uh, it was about 7.15, 7.20 in the morning and just sat down, put my head back and one of the incoming members started yelling on the on the loudspeaker that we got a job across the street. Let's go. Uh, so we geared up, opened up the door and boom, the windows blew out uh, from a building, not directly across the street, like more diagonal on the corner of... Uh, West 10th in Greenwich. It was the village paper store. So obviously the store was full of 
a lot of combustible materials. And apparently the windows blew out because there was a gas heater hanging above the front door and the gas line had severed. Uh, so it was feeding the fire and it was just a massive explosion. So anyway, um, we ran across the street. Chauffeur pulls out. Um, if you check my socials, go on Twitter at Sarah Rob. I'll post some pictures. You'll see we got some good ones because, uh, you know, we got there quickly. So it looks like we were, uh, had a lot of time to uh, pose, but really it was just, you know, the 15, 20 seconds it took for the chauffeur to uh, connect to a hydrant, um, which wasn't exactly in front of the building. But anyway, the details are kind of fuzzy for me. Uh, I had the nozzle. And after gearing up, we made our way in the building. And I remember climbing over some debris, trying to make our way to the back. But the gas uh, kept feeding the fire behind us. So we had to keep turning around and knocking it down so we could press forward uh, while we were waiting for the truck to shut the gas off. Um, made our way. We were, now I know we were about in the middle of the store uh, when the lights went out. Um, I heard a... a, a some sort of creak, and then that was the last thing I remember. Um, I, I woke up, uh, came to, I should say, on the floor. Um, I could feel my backup man was under me. Um, I was disoriented, and I, I, I could see a crack of light. So I just started making my way towards the light, um, which was the front door that we had come in. Uh, so I made my way outside. In the meantime, I could hear a mayday. Going off on the radio, uh, which I now know was for my backup man, uh, which they found unconscious. Um, fortunately for us, it, w it wasn't a very big store, so the truck was in the vicinity uh, when this all went down. So I believe it was the members of Ladder 5 uh, who found him. Um, but I had made my way out, and at this point, I believe I was sitting on the bumper of the rig uh, and contacted my officer and let him know that I was okay. Um, and that was it. So it's been a long 12 years for me, uh, some surgeries, a few fusions, a lot of pain. Um, but it just goes to show you, you know, it's, it, it, it was one of those fires that you dream of, you know, right across the street from the firehouse, 730 in the morning, you're ready to roll. Um, and you know, in a split second, uh, everything can change. Um, so you know, they say, be careful what you wish for, um, which is something I, I always took to heart anyway, but, uh, you know, you can't wish for the big one. Um, this wasn't even that big of a one, but, but in my life it is, you know, uh, I haven't been able to lift up my kids or hold them in my arms for, I don't know, <laughs> so many years now. I don't even remember what it's like. Um, so many of my activities are limited. If you, if you, if you see me, you could tell that I, I can't really turn my head very much because of the fusions and it's just been a lot of pain. Um, but that's part of the job and that's part of, uh, you know, part of what we sign up for. You all know, you know, they tell you to look around when you're in the academy um, at the people next to you because some aren't going to make it, some are going to get hurt, whatever, you know, that whole speech. And uh, it's true. And we can't all think we're going to get through it unscathed, right? And most of us don't. But I'm all right. I'm here. I got this microphone in my hand, so I'm going to keep telling my stories and letting other people tell theirs. Um, and in that vein, that brings me to my next guest, uh, Mr. Al Barry. You may recognize his voice. Um, 
and he's got a, a very harrowing uh, story to tell um, from his time on the job, and he's going to tell us how he got on the job, and and you know he's going to tell us his nine eleven story. It's hard not to talk about the history of of the fire department and the FDNY and not tell these stories, you know. And it's my goal to to keep talking about nine eleven, not just every September, but but throughout the year, you know, to mix in these stories. And I think this is a good follow up to uh, to hearing Lila's story because now we're going to get the other side of it, you know, from from someone who was inside the building. So here I bring you retired firefighter, Mr. Al Barry. We're proud to have a new sponsor for the show, Rocky Boots. Since 1932, Rocky Boots has had a proud legacy building boots for the men and women who serve and protect our country. And in January, Rocky is introducing their fire boots. As with all Rocky boots, these are high quality, comfortable, and built to last. Plus, these boots are NFPA certified. Located in an American small town, Rocky has volunteer firefighters in their company, and their focus is on footwear that's innovative and durable. Rocky is currently looking for firefighters to wear test their boots. If you're interested, reach out through any of Rocky Boots' social media channels, Facebook and Twitter, at Rocky Gear. And be sure to check out the great deals at RockyBoots.com. Rocky Boots, rugged innovation since 1932. What's up, guys? Welcome to episode 15 of the Firefighters Podcast. Uh, I'm proud to bring you a special guest, a good friend of mine, firefighter Al Barry. Um, Al's got a very interesting story. He took a, a different route to the fire department than, uh, than what we usually hear. Uh, if you grew up in New York City and you are of, of a certain age, you're going to recognize his voice instantly. So uh, let me bring him in. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Al Barry. Uh, good morning. <laughs> that used to be my handle anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, if you don't know, Al used to work on the Hot 97 Morning Show with Ed Lever and Dr. Dre here in New York City uh, for many years. East uh, Coast, Dr. Dre. East Coast. Formerly Dr. of Yo! MTV Raps. A lot of people confuse him. Right, right. Um, <laughs> he won't be performing with Eminem at the Super Bowl this year. No, no. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so let's get into it, man. How does someone go from, from a... a successful uh career in the morning show because that was the biggest show we had in new york city at the time right um number one in our targeted demographics for five years straight for the whole time uh, that they were on the air at 97 what was your role there i started as the phone op right i i need to go back a little bit i i uh upon graduation from um university of new paltz uh, SUNY. I uh, kind of spent the from oh gee April to December knocking on every door in New York City radio trying to get a job in radio, uh, which uh, I didn't really need to knock on any doors. So I was playing at my local gym mill, the Talk of the Town Lounge in uh, Great Hills, <laughs> shooting darts on a cold uh december night and i ran into the brother of the executive producer of the morning show at that time which uh the morning show was howard hoffman and stephanie miller which uh they were about to end their five-year run there um got the interview uh by running home and getting my resume 
and giving it to him. And two weeks later, I was the phone op of the uh, morning show at that time. Uh, four weeks later, the morning show was blown out. And I was advanced to associate producer. Um, worked with Ricky Ricardo in the morning, who's now the voice of the Philadelphia Eagles radio broadcasts. Oh, he right. also does the Spanish end of the New York Yankees for uh, ESPN radio. Oh. Um, so worked with him until they, he was considered the interim morning show host as they, they knew they were going to change the format, which was a top 40 um, dance radio station, Hot 97. And uh, they knew they were going to flip it to a hip hop radio station, one of the very first in the nation at that time, yeah. which, which happened in November of 1993. Um, now, were you a hip hop guy? I know you're a big music guy. but Not at all. Guy? Not at all. Was not a hip hop guy at all. But, uh, you know, it's 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 not just the music. It's a culture. Right. You know, uh, like any other genre of music, it be, it becomes, you know, part of your life. And uh, hip hop had many different, has many different elements to it. Uh, but the morning show, they brought in Ed Lover and Dr. Dre in the morning and teamed uh, those two guys up with Lisa Glassberg, known as Lisa G, mm -hmm. who went on uh, after that to a couple other radio stations I, and uh, Howard Stern. She, she actually worked for Stern, our competition at that time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, I did five years. I worked my way up to executive producer of that show and that show did its time. Uh, how did I become a fireman? Well, I was, uh, before I went to New Paltz, I did a little time at University of Dayton in Ohio. And my oldest brother, who's 11 years older than I, was a fireman, 37 engine, 40 truck, out of home. Uh, life begins at 40, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, shout out to those guys, 125th Street. <laughs> Uh, he sent me a plane ticket to come home and take uh, the test for the fire department. And the test that I had taken was That's, the one that sounds was very delayed. familiar. Yeah, uh, that test was delayed numerous years due to the five points that the Long Island people wanted to get uh, for being New York City residents. Um, and that's kind of why I got to do what I wanted to do in radio and uh, did lots of things there. I was actually a character on the show, uh, as we alluded to earlier. Uh, and uh, this time, 20 odd years ago, I was at Super Bowl 30 as a field correspondent for the oh, morning. Nice. And was that was that Brett Favre? Was that the that Favre was Super the, Bowl? Or was that was, no, that was Steelers uh, Cowboys. Cowboys, okay. Cowboys won. That was the Super Bowl with... Um, uh, Diana Ross flying down in the helicopter. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that was, uh, yeah. So I did all, I, I did a whole lot of things. They, uh, they, they featured me as uh, uh, part of one of their promotions called Al Barry's Boogie Down Bash and Barbecue at Universal Studios in Florida, where they sent 300 listeners down by plane for a, for a four day, three night stay with uh, with a uh, concert of 
hip hop artists. That was that was another. That had to be fun. Thing. So yeah, I you know I did everything I wanted to do in radio in that six and a half years that I worked there, and um, took the test after get uh, and. Uh, you know, I, I got a hundred on the physical. I think I got a 99 on the uh, written, <laughs> uh, but that put me in the last class of 98. I actually had to get my eyes fixed before I could take the test, uh, before I could advance to probationary fire school. So I actually missed three classes, uh, three classes. Wow. Yeah. I would have been in the first class of 98, but that wouldn't have fitted my, fit it into my timeline. So everything right. works out for a reason. <laughs> and and it, it could have changed your other timeline too. So, you don't, you know, yeah, you don't know yeah, where you would have yeah. ended up three years later. So I had a similar situation with myself. I, uh, I hadn't graduated college yet when they called me. Mm-hmm. So, I tur- so I turned it down because it was in the middle of my last semester. Who's going to leave after spending all that money. Right. 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 So I pushed it back. Uh, I think I could have gone in, in February and, and then May. And I pushed it back to July. And so there it I, is. I ended up in a different place also, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Never know. Such is life, right? Right. Such is life. But right. a, I, I have to say, I've heard a lot of stories of what guys did during that great wait, uh, as we call it. Um, if great you're not from, That's great. If you're not from New York, it was a long time uh, without hiring firefighters. It was from Dinkins through Giuliani, right? That nobody got hired for like seven years. Right, um, seven my, years. A lot of people like my brother uh, joined the police department or corrections or sanitary or some, some sort of city job just to start your clock uh, for your pension. But right. everybody was waiting to get on the fire department. But I think Al's got probably the coolest story I've heard so far. <laughs> um, good times. Good times we had. Yeah. So, so then... You went to the academy and you ended up, you, did you start out in 65? What did you end up? In yes, that? that was my assigned house. At that time, the rotation was in full effect. Um, the ABC house rotation. Uh, March, I guess we came out and it was around, I'm going to say June or July that they sent us to our B house which was uh, for me a truck, engine, uh, ladder 161, engine 245, battalion 4-3, Coney Island. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the rotation, they say six months, six months, and then they send you back. Uh, I spent uh, almost a year and a half in Coney Island. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I went out for two months and that was it. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, and then I went to uh, 165 engine, 85 engine. In Newdorp, Staten Island. Yep, our old neighborhood. Maybe there for five months, and then went back to Engine sixty five. Uh, was I guess late July of two thousand one. All right. Yeah, yeah. So before we go down the road a couple months, I always want to ask you this: Did your hip hop friends ever show up at the firehouse? And uh, <laughs> you know, because your firehouse is in Midtown Manhattan, if people don't know, so he they're yeah. right in the thick of it all. If you if if you're watching this video, you can see the picture that Al has up. That looks like Rockefeller Center behind the sure is. Behind 2008 that rig there, the Midtown Mob. Yeah, um, that's us. But did anybody ever stop by and, and break chops? And, and what what were the other guys' reactions to seeing uh, you know, rappers <laughs> come in the firehouse? 
Well, you know, I kept it on the down low so much. Uh, once I got to the firehouse, a lot of older guys, when I got to the firehouse, the, a couple of the younger guys knew, you know, when you get to the firehouse, right, you bring your cake, your cigars, hey, what'd you do for a living? Right. I worked in radio. Oh, you worked in radio. What the hell are you doing here? And that kind of thing. And then, and then it's, uh, have you ever listened to hip hop? <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> All these old timers, you know, they're watching the ticker on the TV, <laughs> checking their numbers. <laughs> but uh, a few guys, you know, were in tune and uh, they hipped everybody to where I was from. And, but, you know, that, that all goes to the side when you get to the firehouse. You know, they want to know what you're about, what what you're all about and what kind of person you are. You know, um, that didn't. I I really didn't make it a thing, you know, uh, at all. Um, I had Flavor Flav stop by the firehouse. <laughs> of, of all people. Of all people. <laughs> he stopped well, by the house. Now, I, I had relations with Flavor and his family from the boogie down bash and barbecue that I was uh the uh the the face of hot 97 and uh flavor took over the radio station one morning demanding to go to the the boogie down badge and uh that's how we became friends we took the flight down there together and uh but he stopped by with his clock and was taking lots of pictures and uh that was fun um yeah yeah i'd imagine that had to go over well and that was probably at his at his height, right? Of his uh, certainly craziness. was. He what was that? VH1. He was on yeah. the TV show there. The, the flavor of love was that the it? The flavor of love, right? <laughs> uh, I can't imagine. Oh right. yeah, Bridget Nielsen, right? Jeez. That was crazy. <laughs> anyway, yeah, anyway, yeah. All right. <laughs> I can imagine the conversations at the kitchen table after he left, but uh, um, so let, let's jump right into it now. Um, as you alluded to earlier, you got back to 65 in the summer of 2001. Um, and a big part of the reason I wanted to have you on is not because of your backstory, which I think is, is one of the most interesting I've heard from firemen. Uh, you know, just to let people know out there that we come from all over the place, all fields. We have doctors, writers, lawyers, executive producers of, of number one morning shows, um, you know, lowly English majors like myself. We have all sorts of types that that come on to our job. But Al <laughs> was working in Midtown um, on September 11th. And uh, if you don't mind, um, I just want the people to know out there that when I ask people to tell their 9-11 story, I don't do it lightly. Um, I know how hard it is. And I think it's it's important to tell people these stories. And I thank Al. Before he gets going, I just want to thank him for sharing this with us because I know it's hard. But go ahead, buddy. Walk us through it. Yeah, yeah. It, it You know, you got to share the story. Yeah. To uh, vet the demons, if you will. And not just every September. We got to tell these stories. You know, it's February right now. So, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I was tending bar in Midtown, moonlighting or your second job, if you will. Mm -hmm. I had a uh, a, a bartending position on 44th Street between 2nd and 3rd. 
And uh, I, uh, I slept uh, I slept over that night after my bartending position. And uh, so I was I was already there and we got the, the tones a little bit before 9 a.m. And we were. Uh, I think we were fifth due on the fifth alarm or first due on fifth alarm to the towers uh, to report to the North Tower. So, uh, yeah, we were ready to go because we already did our roll call and uh, rig was already checked by me. So I knew everything was there. And uh, so down we went down the West Side Highway, made great time, fantastic time on, you know, on a, a bright Tuesday morning. Crosstown traffic always sucks, but uh, we made it right. Right across to the West Side, came right down. Uh, that's when the, the second plane had hit. Uh, my boss at the time, Lieutenant Tom Piambino, he uh, rapped on the, the window and, and uh, popped it open and said, I don't know what the fuck we got, but we got something that's a whole lot different than what we're normally doing, boys. So saddle up. And, uh, you know, as, as uh, the junior man, Kind of, kind of fresh to sixty-five. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm saddling up. I'm ready to roll. Yeah, um, yeah. So we we got down to uh, the foot of the North Tower, and uh, pandemonium was breaking loose already. And we got our assignment to uh, make our way up to the north, uh, up the North Tower. Um, Had you seen any jumpers at that point? Uh, did, no, no. no. You know, you, uh, getting your gear together. We all took an extra roll up, an extra bottle. Right. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we were pack rats at that point. Yeah. Making our way up. Um, as we're going in, that's when you heard them. You know, and that was. That's why yeah, if, if you haven't, if you don't know, that's what people misconstrued as gunfire. Right. That's what we heard. Right. I remember hearing over the radio, you know, we got shots fired, but it was really the explosions of the jumpers hitting the concrete. Yeah, right? the people. So uh, as as we're walking in, you saw uh, pieces of bodies, bodies, um, all different conditions. Um, legs, heads, torsos, and some were burnt. Uh, Terrible, just terrible. So it was, you know, uh, for me, thinking back to that, and I, I've told this story numerous times, and it's like, that didn't really phase me. I'm going to a fire. I got to get to the fire. Uh, I was the nozzle man that day. And, uh, yeah, uh, didn't know what the, the, the shots fired were, but in hindsight, yeah, well, you were in there for those of us who weren't in there yet. That's what we were hearing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, those, you know, those bang, 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 that's, that right. was all people mm -hmm. landed. Um, so yeah, we uh, made our way up the, uh, I believe was the B stairwell coming in from West street and uh, proceeded to climb up the uh, North tower. And uh, we got to about the 16th floor 
when what we thought were the all the uh, elevators being recalled was actually the South Tower collapsing. And, you know, radio silence basically was in effect. There was there was no radios uh, going on. Now, as we've learned, uh, there were reports of no radio transmission being heard um, on the upper floors. So our radios were still working. But at that point, during the collapse of the South Tower, there was no it was silence. And that silence comes into play a little later, as as I tell this to you. Um, so we thought all the all of them were being recalled and kind of didn't make a, anything big of it. But we didn't know that the South Tower was collapsing. I guess that's what I'm trying to get out. Um, so we climbed up to about the 22nd floor when we got the May Day to remove ourselves from the North Tower, imminent collapse. Um, now, 22nd floor is something that is said that the radios did not work past the 22nd floor. So it, that's kind of a key number right. for us anyway, because, I mean, we were, we were not energetic making our way up the North Tower uh, in any, <laughs> any way to say it, because our boss, uh, Lieutenant Tom Piambino, he had a, a knee condition. So it was kind of like every five floors, we had to kind of chill out a little bit, let him uh, let his knees kind of rest a little bit, right. which was to our advantage. <laughs> and, and you're carrying about 150 pounds. Ah, uh, yeah, you know, uh, and some of that gear went by the wayside, I, I'll tell yeah. you. <laughs> Once we got around the tent. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, with that said, we made our way back down upon here in the May Day and notifying other guys as they're coming up because there were there were still guys coming up. You, and they were, even though we verbalized that there's a May Day, they still, we got to, we got to, we're going up. You know, how, how, how the men do, we, we have our assignment. We got to do what we got to do. Um, so on our way down, you know, it was very orderly. It was not uh, pandemonium coming down. The, the civilians were making their way down as we were making our way up. And on our way down, the civilians were, it was, it was a very orderly fashion. Um, certain floors, uh, there were no lights. And some people were... I guess fatigued and needed help, uh, which we tried to do. Uh, we would administer a little bit of air from our packs and, you know, get them moving. Um, so yeah, made our way down. I would say around the third floor, there was signs of a breach of the building where we had to remove some rubble from the stairwell. And that was kind of when the light bulb went off. Gee, this, 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 maybe that 16th floor recall, there was something, to, something more, right. something more to that, um, which we were about to find out upon hitting the lobby floor. It, 
it was pandemonium at that point. It was it was walking into the war zone. Um, my boss was he was like uh, he gathered us together and said, let let's just make our way out because there's no way I, I can't see where we can get any other information at this point because okay. it was it, it was crazy. Um, so we could you went see, out. Could you physically see anything at that point? Or was it, was it just blacked out smoke like or dust? No, there, there really wasn't. There really wasn't any smoke. It was like I said, around the third floor, there was some rubble. Right. Uh, from a wall being pushed in, pushed out. Um, but that was really it at that point. Um, don't know what that rubble was because, okay. you know, the North Tower did not collapse, but something happened in that area. Uh, but once we got to the, uh, the lobby area, it was, it was crazy. People were running amok. Um, it was, it was nutty. Uh, but my boss said, let's, let's all go out. We went out the same way we came in onto West street. There was a chief there that was, uh, screaming, everybody go North, go North. He had a bullhorn in his hand, but he wasn't using the bullhorn. So, you know, you could see it in his face. There was something going on. If you look to the left, you could see there there was, you know, it was uh, Beirut. You know, there was a problem. Right. And uh, we really didn't. For me personally, there was no time to actually process that. Because uh, as we took a few more steps, you looked up and the building was coming down. And that was easily processed. We started, uh, you know, running, <laughs> running north. And uh, everybody got scattered at that point from my company. I, I dove behind a, a police car. And um, moments later, I had a pile of people on top of me. And um, yeah, that's the North Tower had collapsed. And uh, talk about the silence and such things that it was slow motion, really, the process. I, I didn't watch it come down. I saw it once as it was coming down and, you know, knew I needed to get the hell out of there. Yeah. Um, as it was coming down, the silence was just amazing. Um, is it a slow motion process of your mind? That's probably what it is, you know, and your mind filtering out things as you're trying to run for cover, you know? Right. So, the, so uh, the people were just running, like, I'd imagine people were still running at this point. They were just running. In yeah. Silence, every, just... From, from West street, you know, from the North tower, everybody, it was, and you're kind of not paying attention. I, I can't say I'm scanning to see what's going on. I'm right. doing my thing. I got to go. I got to go. Um, I guess once the tower had collapsed, um, I'm laying on the bottom of like eight or nine people. Could be more. However high uh, to protect people from underneath a, a police car. So maybe it's less, maybe it's six, seven. I, you know, right. um, I'm on the bottom of it all. 
my vibro alert went off uh, on the bottle. And uh, that's when people started peeling off of me. Um, once I was able to get up, I uh, cleaned out my mask, was able to shut off the vibro alert. And I administered air to the people that were surrounding me. Um, then the big, the big black cloud came. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once again, that silence, uh, just amazing. You, you know, you're not hearing anything. It, you're just trying to process it all, I guess. Right. Especially downtown Manhattan on a weekday morning is, is as loud as you're going to get it. Right. No uh, I would think so. But you, you know, you got to keep in mind that South tower had already collapsed too. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I would assume a lot of a lot of civilians, everybody was gone already from that area. You had a half hour's time between the South Tower collapse and the North Tower collapse. So right. it's it's a great question as to, you know, what was going on before that South Tower collapsed on on the West Side, on West Street. Right. But you also have people people fleeing other buildings, not just the trade center, you know, every building in downtown Manhattan. So they might've left water street and were waking their way and and running past you by that point, you know, great point. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we, we will never know the exact number, but it's definitely. So my, my reg uh, 65 engine, uh, when, when my show for Armando Reno, uh, dropped us off, he went down the Liberty Street, and I think he hooked up with uh, the chauffeur from One Engine, and uh, because One Engine already uh, was hooked up, and so the chauffeur was helping out sixty five, and hooked up sixty five. Um, but uh, sixty five got crushed by the South Tower. It was found. Couple of days before Christmas, oh, yeah. two thousand one, and it was about I think six stories below grade sixty five, and all crushed. If I, if I knew how to utilize this uh, Facebook uh, this uh, <laughs> uh, Zoom thing, I would show you a couple of pictures and stuff. But uh, well, I'm trying uh, to work that out a little earlier. But. Send them to me, and we'll put them up so the people. Uh... Yeah, yeah. Now, Armando Reno was on the cover of the Newsday the next morning. He's the upside down guy that all the firemen are pulling out of the rubble, missing uh, his teeth. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've seen, yeah, that's, I've seen that. that. That was uh, the show for 65. All right. Was he, did he actually start flowing water? or That I don't know. I would assume he, he, he was hooked up and ready to go. Uh, did he hook up to a standpipe? I don't know. I don't know. You have to get Amando on here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We do. He's somewhere in Las Vegas, I'm sure, at this time. <laughs> but I know he's alive and well. Uh, his son, Mike Reno, was, uh, last time I remember, was at 55 Engine. Okay. So his son's on the job as a fireman. He might be an officer now. I'm not sure. All right. Well, we'll have to check in with him. and uh, Jack, Jack. Get his side of the story. Yeah. So, so what, what did you do after that? Did you stay down at the site? Did you try to make your way back to 65? Like I, 
I always wonder what, what the guys were. Yeah. Uh, well, it was, it was the longest tour, you know, yeah. um, you know, once the black cloud passed, uh, 65, we tried to regroup. We're trying to find one another. You can actually see me on the French, uh, documentary, uh, the filmmakers, uh, you'll see 65 engines, uh, patch come across the screen and you hear, and you can hear me saying six, five control, uh, six, five nozzle to six, five. And I don't think I'm using the radio at all. I'm just trying to find, find my guys, but you hear me on the French documentary. If anybody's revisiting that thing, uh, <laughs> that's where, that, um, that's where that booming voice comes in handy. <laughs> I don't know how booming it was then, man. <laughs> Pretty scratched up. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, uh, like many of the other others that survived that collapse, you know, our eyes were shot, you know, uh, yeah. things were in our ears, our nose. Uh, so we're all walking up pretty much uh, the West side there. And uh come across some some ambulances that were administering water to everybody uh got my eyes cleared cleaned out and, um i think that was where we regrouped as as a company as we're walking up um at that point the officer said let's let's go back and see what we can do and um you know as to the pile uh which uh, wasn't named the pile just yet, but, uh, right. to the collapse. And, uh, we were stopped at that point, uh, by, by a chief or, or somebody who said everybody that was involved in the collapse needs to go up to Stuyvesant high school to take a head count. And, uh, so we were turned around and had to make our way up to Stuyvesant high school and basically waited there for numerous hours to be enumerated. That's interesting. I'd never heard that before. Uh, and in my last episode, I had Lila, who was a student at Stuyvesant um, oh. during 9-11 to talk about all the health issues that the kids who went there are going through now. Right. And that's just one more thing that that building was used for. Uh, you know, it was used as a morgue. It was used as a hospital. Uh, a cafeteria, right? I mean, it was always. Yeah. Strong. Yeah. And so it was, it's about one o'clock in the afternoon. They had us file in to the auditorium. Wow. Where that's when they started the enumeration of us. Um, I can recall them saying, oh, 65. We thought you were dead. Yeah. Well, I mean, from the outside, before we even got there, we were being told seven, 800 guys are dead. You know, right. like we had, and then, you know, I'm sure you saw that list that was going around. It was like, it was crazy. Just basically you thought everybody you, you knew was dead. Uh, um, my brother, Ricky, he was uh, supervising fire marshal at the time and was at uh, Brooklyn base. And he had gotten the word that I was dead. Yeah. I would have assumed it too. If, if I knew you were uh, at work in Manhattan uh, and, and for you younger listeners in 2001, not everybody had a cell phone. Um, I had one, because I was one of the younger guys there, but I would say maybe in my firehouse, like less than half of the guys actually had a cell phone. 
Mm. So it was a lot of cell phone sharing. And I believe there was only one cell company that actually had service from there. Um, right. So everyone was going to the whoever had, like whoever it was, Sprint, the Verizon, whoever it was, that was actually getting calls out. So you weren't getting in touch with your family um, and you certainly weren't going to walk uptown to find a payphone. So nobody oh, knew anything. Great, that's, a, that's a good segue to, I, I was waiting on the wall across from Stuyvesant High School. I did have a cell phone at the time and uh, I wasn't getting any service, but the payphones was still there. And I didn't have any change on me. <laughs> <laughs> of course. But being a kid from Great Kill, Staten Island, used to love to play with the payphones in in town and uh, knew how to make a collect call. <laughs> now I have, uh, now I, I have to explain this. It was like Saw Six Six Two or some yeah, some yeah. silliness uh, <laughs> back then. But I was able to make a collect call, and I I uh, the operator had said there's no lines going like to Staten Island where I was from. And so I said, well, can you direct a call to Islip, Long Island? And I reached out to my cousin, Abigail, in, in Long Island. Now, I didn't even have her phone number. Like, in, you know, probably yeah. wasn't even in my phone. Right, uh, yeah. uh, but uh, they were able to get in touch with her. And uh, that's how I got word to my family that I was alive and well. And uh, I had said to her, listen, reach out to uh, your cousin Ricky, because uh, I don't know if he's working, if he's down here. Just see if he's all right and you can let him know I'm all right. Um, and that's how I got word out anyway, uh, was actually utilizing a payphone. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think my my brother Joe, who wasn't on the job, who worked down at Goldman Sachs, we, we didn't get in touch with him for like a couple of days, you know, like mm. he, he walked all the way to Hoboken or something, you know, it was like phones were out everywhere. And, uh, you know, the re me and Andy were a little busy. So it was, it was, <laughs> it was hard to, uh, to find everybody, you know, to do a head right. count, like you just said. Um, yeah. and is and this isn't just for first responders for people listening. Like, a lot of us, especially in Staten Island, like a lot of people work in lower Manhattan or work in, in municipality positions or whatever, you know, a lot of Wall Street. So a lot of people were missing, you know, where I mean, I think, yeah. I think we took the, the biggest hit uh, as it is. Uh, but so it wasn't just us scrambling, you know, like my wife's family, they didn't they were sitting by the phone <laughs> in many ways. They're still sitting by the phone, you know. Um, so. That that I think that's a, a big part of of nine eleven that gets lost is that the waiting, you know. Um, yeah. I think a lot of people had that that feeling that probably still hasn't gone away, you know, that waiting for the for the I'm okay phone call. Right, but it's pretty right. cool that you got one out, you know. Thankfully, um, yeah. Thankfully, many people did survive. Right. Um, on the bright side, we did. Oh yeah evacuate tens of thousands of people. But, uh, all right. Well, I appreciate you going through all that um, and telling everybody about it. Ah, well, um, that's the day. Um, you know, we didn't have a rig to get back, um, but we were cut loose around the five o'clock hour, six o'clock hour. 
and uh, I had to commandeer a vehicle. There was a lot of yeah. support companies from out of the out of the five boroughs that were coming down. They were all, I believe, coming through the Rock, Randall's Island. Jersey and uh, too. They, they were staging in Jersey. All of Staten Island was covered by Jersey. Uh, from what I remember, I remember going to right before I got on the bus, I was at one of those firehouses on the North shore and there were two yellow rigs in there. I couldn't tell you where they were from, but <laughs> I looked at it. I was like, I, it's nice you're here, but there's no way you're hooking that thing up to one of our hydrants. <laughs> you know? right, right, right. Right. But, yeah. 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 I, I think, I think, and not only that, but a lot of the construction companies were given their pickup trucks and their vans and their tools. You know, I, my brother was uh, in 131 and they, they, they rolled in on a, in a pickup truck full of, you know, some guys, you know, whole tool uh, supply. So <laughs> the local roofer, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. So we, uh, I actually, cause you know, everybody's fatigued, uh, across the board, everybody yeah. that was there just from sitting and waiting. And, and, you and know, now you're processing what you just witnessed. You, there's right? no chain of command really running things there. Well, yeah, we now no. we now know why. I mean, oh, of course. Now we know why. Right. So uh, I grabbed uh, there was a, a bus, I guess, that came from Randall's Island and all types of guys coming off from all different units uh, from probably upstate New York. Yeah, well, that, a lot of sock guys. I said to the kid, listen, we got to get back to Midtown Manhattan. You're going that way. Can you uh, take us? And he's like, oh, well, I got report. Listen, <laughs> we're coming on. If you'd like me to drive, I'll drive this bus. <laughs> <laughs> so now I wind up taking, you know, guys from 16 and se- uh, 16 and 7, 21 engine, uh, 65 engine, uh, and a whole bunch of other companies from up in midtown, we all got on this bus and that's how we all got back to our uh, quarters was because there was no transport. We yeah, no, guys, I, that, I remember. guys that didn't have rig, we were on our own basically. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, the next morning uh, I made my way home to Staten Island and you know, the subways weren't running past Chambers Street. I, I might even be further up. Um, Canal, probably. And had to walk to the ferry mm-hmm. to get the ferry. And every third block was a military presence. And they checked your uh, credential. And uh, it was it was a horror uh, walking through that. It was you're walking through Beirut, mm-hmm. you know, and took the ferry home and it was a lot of like guys like me trying to make it home that survived it all. And, uh, companies from Staten Island were taking the ferry home after working all night there. Mm-hmm. That's how I got home. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that was a crazy, crazy thing, man. Crazy time. Yeah. Uh, so, well, I mean, you guys, have, what did they do? Did they bring you guys another rig? Like, how did you guys get back in service? I always wondered that because like 216, yeah. we, we got our rig back. Uh, even though it was there, it was it was still operational. Uh, yeah, I don't think we had a rig for at least a week. 
And, uh, you know, 65 is a high pressure pump, uh, right. uh, third stage. Uh, I, I know a lot of Seagraves are actually high pressure, but this uh, 65 is one of seven at that time. I don't know what the rigs are like today, but one right. of seven, couple in Queens, uh, the Balkans in Manhattan that go to a third stage. And uh, we had a third stage from Trophy Training School that I, I guess I guess they were trying to figure out how to get 65 a, a high pressure pumper. And um, so we went without for about a week. And at that time, it was all about the recovery anyway. Right. So you guys were, so who was manning your, your area? Like what, just the other companies around you were right in or they, they I, you know, Rob, I really don't know. No? <laughs> I don't, I, I don't have that information. Right. Uh, um, but, you know, we were working ABC. What were we doing? 12 hour shifts. Where I was, we were on AB, but we had a rig, so we had to man, five or yeah. six of us had to stay and man the rig, and everybody else would go down for the recovery. Right, right. I, I do recall doing, like, uh, hammer teams, mm -hmm. um, you know, where we would cover two-block radius, be an officer and a uh, fireman with just a basic set of tools and, you know, resetting class threes, because that's our bread and butter up there in Midtown. Yeah. <laughs> Class trees. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, like I, I said earlier, we got we got pieces of we got pieces of our rig back in a uh, couple of days before Christmas 20, 2000, 2001. And uh, I think we had the third the third new rig, which was a high pressure. I don't think it was initially high pressure. The high pressure was coming. But well, we got a, a new rig. It was a 2002 Seagrave, and I think it was uh, a regular pumper. Um, shortly in the new year, um, and then we were issued the one that's in the picture behind me, right. um, high pressure pumper. Now I'm, so, I'm sorry for all the buffs. I don't know. I don't know the numbers. Uh, what <laughs> Seagrave right. it was? That's all right. They know. Don't worry. <laughs> Um, for the old timers watching it, if you remember 65 in the, uh, the early 80s, we had the lime green uh, federal uh, <laughs> pumper, <I've seen> the <laughs> which, pictures. They, which they tried out. I think there were four of them on the job uh, that didn't last too long, though. American La France, I think it was. <sighs> so, yeah. <laughs> let's fast forward a little bit because, I mean, I know you pretty well. We've, 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 uh, you know, we've been friends for a while now. Yeah. And I know that from what I know about you and I don't know about the other guys in your firehouse, uh, the rig wasn't the only thing that came back in pieces, right? Uh, I think you guys, you know, not just 65 engine, I think all the guys that were there in the initial collapse um, mm -hmm. never came back the same, you know, and they, they, they were all over the place uh, from what I remember emotionally, you know. And that's just what they were showing in the firehouse. So I don't know what was right. going on in private, you know. Sure, sure. I know this is something you're open with me, at least, uh, about. So how long did it take for you to, to realize that you were in pieces or, or that you needed to put yourself back together? Because it had to take a little while, right? Because it was... Oh, 
it 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 took years. Yeah, it took years, and you know, uh, I got married in two thousand four. Uh, I got engaged uh, right after nine eleven. I I was gone. I had the ring, <laughs> and was waiting for an opportune moment, probably Valentine's Day two thousand two. Right. Uh, I, I actually, I think uh, we had planned a trip to Jamaica that week or the following week, uh, September. And, uh, that got canceled, of course. Um, but yeah, got married 2004. Um, it was probably, I, I actually ran in the New York city marathon in 2006 did pretty good, eleven minute miles. All right, um, but I think that was the catalyst for my comeuppance with nine eleven. Whereas uh, my health began to deteriorate. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a member of the FDMY ceremonial unit and uh, played taps at many a funeral. Um, I had joined the ceremonial unit in August of 2001 and uh, as as bugler number two. And um, fast forward to 2007, around that time, I noticed my playing of the taps was not as good as it once was. And uh, didn't know why. And the uh, I don't know if we were we were doing the lung tests at that time. I, I don't recall, but it was it was a lung test in 2008 that determined that my lungs were shot. Um, not really shot, but I'm there. I know a few guys that are, you know, carrying around an oxygen tank. Right. My my lungs weren't there yet. Um, but probably if I stayed around a little longer, they might have gotten there. Um, but yeah, uh, as bugler number two for the FDNY ceremony unit, it wasn't going too well for me in 2008. <laughs> uh, and that, I think, was when things started to shut down for me mentally. Um, and, you know, started to started to see the shrink, you know, um, as per the fire department. And then there were a combination of things. We lost the fellow in the firehouse, a uh, 40-year member, Willie T. Franklin. Um, he retired and died of cancer. And then we had a a member, Marty Hurley, who took his own life. And then one of my brothers who was in the North Tower fell off a roof doing uh, side work, installing solar panels. And with that, I had lost my father-in-law and my father all in about a year and a half's time. And this is and when you retired, right? So this is before I retired. Okay. 
this is when it all started, you know, the right. shit hitting the fan, if you will, mm-hmm. mentally. And that, that's what they say about mental concerns, right? They, they, they don't really come up right to your face. Uh, they take a lot of time and it certainly took a lot of time for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother, Rick, who retired as a supervisor and fire marshal, he was the investigative marshal on the Father's Day fire. And he says that's what put him out. After investigating that job, he put his papers in. Um, he was the uh, lead marshal at the dump on Staten Island uh, for 9-11 when they were sifting through all the stuff, bringing all the stuff to the dump. Um, yeah, I did a tour there. That that could not have been fun to go yeah, through Yeah, so, you know, he says those memories combined with the fathers, they writing that thing up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he did a little time with the shrink as well. And um, sure. You no. Know, that was that was a big problem with him. You know, he, he kind of had a he had a job like you did, uh, Rob, uh, up in Harlem. He he took a HUD door to the head. Yeah. Um. After a fucking uh, fireball, excuse my language. That's all right. Um, I curse. <laughs> there's a lot to curse about, isn't there? There, there is. There is. <laughs> when discussing these things, but. You know, mental illness is there. And if you don't strike while the iron's hot, you know, you're going to run into a lot of problems. And I think I caught it in time. Uh, the mental combined with the the, the physical ailments, um, you know, I was on and off the job due to the lungs uh, for a good a good two years, 2008 to 2010. And, uh, you know, my final, my final job, I, uh, putting out a car fire in front of the uh, New York public library on fifth Avenue and, um, took a feed and I passed out at the panel supplying water. They were calling me Pompeii boy. <laughs> Cause the officer couldn't get me on the radio and they found me, on the panel, you know, uh, <laughs> I never heard that. That's a good one. That tells you. Yeah. Yeah. That how, was how uh, caring. We are to our brothers <laughs> in need, <laughs> but I think that was my, I, I, I know I did. I had a, I had a job on the, on the West side, uh, that I, I pumped water into, uh, building. Uh, but I think that that might've been that week. Uh, that was my last job. That was the, that's when I had to hang it up. And, um, uh, yeah, I went to the, uh, I went to the, excuse me. DJ. I went to the rack unit, uh, 175 truck, East New York. Mm-hmm. And that was a lot of fun. <laughs> a little different Those guys catch work. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but that, and that was, that was the end. I, I think that was my last tour of duty was there. I worked at the rock a little bit, opening and closing the gate for, for nobody. Cause there were no classes there, Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, mental health is, uh, you know, if you think there's something wrong and you're thinking, right, got to go talk to somebody, right. Don't have to be a shrink. 
I think the problem is a lot of people don't think there's something wrong. You know, I think, um, I mean, you happen to be married to a doctor, uh, which has to help. Um, but some guys, you know, they're not willing to, I think the last person to see it is you, right? Like, I think that in my own experience, you know, uh, other people realized that I had problems, even my physical problems before I did, uh, Mm. You know, like my brothers or my wife, you know, my, my brother, Joe was the first, he, he noticed that there was something wrong with me physically before I did, you know, with the shaking and, the, and, and mm. all the neurological issues. Um, right. I remember that conversation and it was just like, I didn't think anybody else noticed. So it must be real. Yeah. Um, yeah. What about the other guys you worked with? Did, uh, do you know how they're doing? Like how were the other guys who were in that, in the collapse? Yeah, you know, it, it, uh, they don't talk about it, yeah. which they should. Mm. You know, we, we do a, a yearly get together. You know, the COVID kind of tamped that down a bit. So I haven't seen the guys I've been with uh, in the tower in, in quite some time. I've been on the phone with them, but I haven't seen them personally. And, you know, we don't talk about it. That's not something we talk about. And they're all the guys, too. Um, like Lieutenant Bambino and uh, another guy with my firehouse, Harry Cardio. You know, they were in NAM. Um, you know, experienced guys. Uh, so, you know, their experience allows them to, you know, we don't talk about this kind of thing. Right. It's, it's another generation. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. Sorry to drop names, boys, if you're seeing this, but <laughs> this is life, you know? This, yeah, this no, is where uh, we're at. We do it at a, love, at a love and respect. We're not... Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that's tough. So, I mean, I, 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 I've I, noticed, uh, I don't know if you've noticed, um, the job seems to be changing in that regard. It seems like even on social media, uh, the brothers and sisters are talking about you know, the stuff that, that they're seeing more, um, right. Right. You know, cause obviously bad shit has happened since nine 11, uh, happened to both of us. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, after nine 11, it, it didn't fires didn't stop burning. People didn't stop dying. Uh, well, I can relate this to you. I, uh, last week I worked the, the, uh, police officer, uh, detective Mara's funeral. Uh, with the FDMY canteen, which was set up on 44th between 5th and 6th. We probably fed 20,000 people that day. Um, but a uh, ceremonial unit uh, put out the bat signal for some retired guys to come in because they needed hands after the, the first funeral. Uh, and uh, so I stepped up. I, I got involved and... Um, yeah, the guys are talking more. This they certainly are talking more about their experiences. Now, not just 9-11, you know? Yeah. Like uh I was talking to a lieutenant who relayed his time getting on the job and, and the hurdles that he had to overcome to get on the job. And you know, he spoke about uh you know, feelings that guys never would share from when I got on the job anyway, you know? Yeah. So I think you're right. I think you're right. Guys is, uh, are talking about it. Even older guys that are still on the job, they're talking about their feelings more. And right. Or at least realizing that, that it's important to, 
even if you don't talk about it, you have to acknowledge it, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I got a text from uh, a buddy from one of my old companies the other day, and he was listening to one of my episodes, um, and he told me that he had a hard time with the canceling unit, but but talking about it, uh, you know, with the guys it really helped him, you know. And I, right. I think at the very least, that's that's what you got to do. You got to talk to somebody. But it's, I've always I agreed with him. Um, I always found it easier to talk to people who who've gone through the same thing. I think that's just human nature. Yeah. And we're lucky because I actually have a brother (laughs) who experienced the same things that I have. So I don't even, you know, I don't have to explain it uh, as much as, you know, when you go into a counselor who didn't through what you lived through, it's hard, you know, it, it adds another layer of, of having to, yeah, I, I know when my brother and I speak about it, you know, it, uh, you know, you know, too, you live through it. You understand mm-hmm. when we're telling stories of such, you know, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, man. Well, that was a long, uh, long episode, but I, I think people out there need to hear it. As I said, I'm I'm going to keep bringing up 9/11 uh, throughout the year because it's not something we should just talk about once yeah. a year. Um, yeah. And it's important with everything going on in the fire service right now, um, everything from fatal fires to losing over a dozen children to a firefighter getting shot and killed uh, while operating. You know, terrible. There's a lot of stuff going on out there, um, and I think there's a lot of people who can learn from from your experience. Um, and how you dealt with things and how you uh, kept trucking, as they say. Uh, <laughs> you need to grab an old guy, an old timer from yeah. like, who's like 80 years old, Rob, from, from, I don't know, from Alphabet City or something. Well, I had, just, I had, I had an 89 year old from uh, 20 truck on, um, Don Blaskovich. Uh, uh, go, back, go back and listen to that episode. He was at the, okay. the fatal Wooster Street fire. Um, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And uh, but he wasn't he wasn't getting into the uh, emotional stuff. Um, we'll leave it at that. But he was. If uh, you think about well, the, the warriors, though, you hear. Yeah. I, I, I can recall hearing all these stories about you know guys getting uh, booby traps, right? Um, yeah. Yep. The booby traps in all the abandoned buildings and stuff. I think that killed Al Ronaldson, right? The false, uh, false floor. Yeah, they were like putting carpets over holes in the floor and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Crazy, crazy. Yeah, there's crazy people out there, but fortunately, there are still good people out there willing to sacrifice themselves uh, and put up with the craziness to help yeah. the to help everybody yeah, yeah. else, right? Well, keep on keeping on doing this, Rob. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I got, what else am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy those children of yours. <laughs> hey, well, it's actually our anniversary today. So we'll, we'll ah, see. So we, got, we got a little celebration today. But uh, you've probably seen Al's face before. He's in my pictures on social media. We, we do go to Ranger games together. Um, Al, myself, and two other guys have been doing this for, I don't know, about Almost a decade now, right? Yeah, yeah. And the boys are looking good this year. So uh sure uh let's so, go ranges. So stuff like that is what helps, right? That helps me. <laughs> that 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 helps you, I know. So uh find something. Absolutely. If you're out there and you need help, talk to somebody. 
but uh you know you can't you can't hold it in but uh find something you love to there, do. there's life after the fire service absolutely absolutely and uh thanks for coming on and if you haven't heard al barry on the radio go check him out on youtube because i was checking him out before um there's some funny stuff on there <laughs> <laughs> thank you and uh send me those pictures and we'll share them with everyone so they can get a, a better idea of what we're talking about will do thanks for having me man all right thanks for coming on dude and uh i'll see you in a couple weeks much love rob all right later bro well thank you al thank you for telling your story um i know it's not easy and uh Fortunately, we were able to dig up a radio broadcast from New York City from September 12th, 2001 of Al calling into a radio station who had just hired him. Uh, He just picked up a new side job. He was going to be a board operator at the station. And this is Al calling in um, just to check in with the host and the listeners. Um, So here it is. Here's Al from September 12th. World Trade Center used to stand. Jamming 105 WTJM in New York. It is uh, 1243. It is uh, Freddie Colon. Good afternoon. Uh, you're hearing Channel 4 WNBC here in New York as we're keeping you up to breast on all the latest happenings. And uh, basically what we've done is uh, we're trying to keep give you as much information as we can. And uh, the motto has become talking is healing here at Jamming 105. You could call us at 212-704-1044. We've had people from all walks of life calling, giving uh, their side of uh, what they've seen, what they've felt, what they're feeling. And uh, we're trying to hug the community just, uh, you know, to help us all get through this. And if you'd like, you could go to uh, jammin105.com, jammin105.com. We've posted uh, quite a few phone numbers that are very important information sites that you may want to go to in case you have a family member or a friend who is missing and uh mark jordan is uh with us mark uh we just i i just got a phone call and i'm not kidding you i i am just upset because uh it was a friend of mine who was a fireman Mm -hmm. and i just found out he's okay and Thank God. I was worried to death because this is a guy that I've worked with in radio, and we just hired him here right. to do some board hopping, uh, and uh, he works right up the street at Engine 65, and part of the reason I couldn't sleep last night was because, uh, you know, I, I walked by there last night, and I asked the firemen if they had heard anything, right? and they didn't know any information, mm-hmm. and... I apologize for getting upset, but, That's you know, right. if this don't get to you, man, That's all right. nothing will. That's right. uh, he just called, and uh, I'd like to play him on the air. His name is Al Barry, and, you know, he's an angel from heaven. All firemen and uh, police officers are angels from heaven, and, you know, I thank God that someone that I know that was so close to this, yeah. and some of the stuff that he's going to tell you is bone-chilling because they were in the building, and... Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, I'm going to play it for you right now. And once again, 212-704-1044. Give us a call. And um, this is uh, Al Barry from Engine 65 right here, right down the street from uh, Jammer 105. Turning from the rubble is Al Barry. Are you okay? 
I'm okay. Oh. My bones are all aching. My head's a little tilted, but otherwise I'm okay. Now, when did you get there yesterday? Engine 65 responded on the fifth alarm. Right. Which means we we rolled out of quarters at approximately 9 o'clock en route to uh, World Trade Center North. Uh, halfway there, we heard the uh, second plane had hit the South Tower. That's when we got we arrived on the scene uh, and advanced to the North Tower, and uh, the engine company made it up to about the 20th floor when the South Tower collapsed, and uh, we were told to evacuate the North Tower. It took about a half an hour to get down the North Tower, and just as we, we hit the street, the North Tower collapsed. Now, did everybody from your company uh, make it out okay? We made it out. The uh, us advancing that uh, came down from uh, from the 20th floor. We made it out okay, but uh, our engine did not make it out. That's now in the subway, and uh, our engine chauffeur Armando he's in the hospital. We thought he was gone because we couldn't get in touch with him. But uh, we found out about five o'clock in the afternoon that he made it to a hospital. Well, thank God you're okay. Thank you. I think I can speak for a lot of New Yorkers. Thank you. God bless you. And what can you say about the firefighters in New York, the police? And it just amazed me last night that they were showing some firefighters that were in the hospital that said, we want to go back. We want to go back because we know, you know, some of our brothers are still in there. And actually, they, they took out six this morning. Yes. And, uh... Freddie, that's what we do, you know? I know you're a big supporter of the fire department, and I know that you know that's the way we are. We just fight. Are you going to be okay? I'm okay. Uh, My physical body is very much bruised and battered. Uh, I'm still coughing up the crap. (laughs) All the uh, cement and whatnot. Right. It's in the system, but otherwise I'm okay. Uh, some Something like 20 companies are still unaccounted for in the fire department right now. That's All companies lost. Well, and we have a phone number, by the way, Al. I, I, I apologize for cutting you off. If uh, you have a firefighter who's missing, you may want to call this number. It is 718-999-2541. That's a special number the firefighters have put up. 718-999-2541 to try to get the latest information on the firefighters. I'll uh, preference that with the fire department does not have a lot of information still at this time. So, uh, you know, could you, could you imagine that? <clears throat> Pretty dramatic phone call, you know, for a variety of reasons, not only because of the fact that uh, Al Barry is someone you know, but I have to tell you myself, when I actually saw uh, Tower Number 2, I guess, go down, that's pretty much when I lost it. And uh, I have... Most of my family comes from Boston, and I have a lot of family members who are police and uh, fire firefighters. And, uh, you know, the civilians in, in general, that's, that's something that you're definitely going to be devastated over. But people who actually take their lives in their hands every day to go into a situation like that, which looks virtually impossible, and, and think nothing of risking their lives to go into that building that end up losing their lives over, over something as tragic as that it really makes you stop and and really reassess what these guys do for a living every single day i saw a police officer on the way into uh work here this morning and you know police officers oftentimes they they have their posture or whatever this this guy looked so wary like he had been through hell and uh i actually just looked at him i just said are you all right and he looked at me almost thankfully that someone even noticed and he he just said i'm holding it together and I just reached my hand out and said, you know, thank God for you guys. Yeah. Thank God for you guys. Under normal circumstances, you know, I probably just would have went on about my business. But today you actually noticed 
the police and fire department out there today and and you know to 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 further enhance what you said already thank god for you angels angels That's what they are. and 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 heroes heroes to the nth degree wow um that's a lot uh that brings me back and i'm sure it brought a lot of you back to that feeling of, uh, that we all had on september 12th and it goes back to what i was saying in the beginning of the show you know about the helpers um there was a time when we we looked at police officers and firefighters as the helpers because they were because all that other bullshit uh was put to the side uh on september 11th and uh in those days after and we all I mean, if you were in New York City, I don't know how it was in the rest of the country, but we all gave a shit about each other. It was, uh, you know, it was a sad and horrible time. Um, like I said, there were a lot of people waiting by the phone, but but it was also a beautiful time because we we genuinely um, were thankful and, and we're looking out for each other. So when people say we need to get back to September 12th, obviously we don't need to, to experience a tragedy like that again. But we need to get back to, to, you know, respecting and caring about each other. You know, what, like that host said in that clip, um, you know, on an ordinary day, day he would have just walked past that police officer and, and kept doing what he was doing. But he realized, you know, sometimes you got to really look at somebody to, to see that they're going through something, you know, and it doesn't have to be something as big as September 11th. And, and that's, that what go, that's what goes on, you know, uh, cops firefighters you know we, we we see shit emts especially we see shit that the public doesn't see um you know so you might be interacting with someone who just just left the scene of a horrific crime or a horrific fire or just witnessed the worst day in somebody's life um and you come up to them and and you know obviously we all need to be professional but sometimes it's hard to put that shit to the side and it's, sometimes it's hard to, to keep going uh with the rest of your tour um, so maybe just a little bit more understanding, you know, uh, all the way around, you know, I don't know. So anyway, I'm glad we were able to dig that up. Um, I'm glad Al is still with us. Uh, seek the counseling unit if you need it, uh, if your department has it. Um, you know, I know it's very helpful. And, and as Al and I said, peer counseling, uh, for me, it is, is, is my way of dealing with it. Uh, just talking to my friends, my family, um, but everyone's different. So, so you got to, the most important thing is you got to talk about it and you know, you got to find something to get you through it. Like, like Al and I said, we go to Ranger games together. Um, it's been about a decade now. Uh, there's four of us. We're all firefighters. Uh, we're all going through our own shit, but well, you know, once a month we meet for dinner and we go watch some hockey and, uh, you know, it helps and it helps us get through it. Um, and I'm glad I have, uh, I have my guys to do that with. Um, and I hope they, they, they feel the same, but, uh, but yeah, this was another tough one. Um, as you can see, uh, for people like Al, um, you know, in many ways it's still September 12th, right? So. Hey guys, it's Frankie, and welcome back to Frankie's Firehouse Feast. Today we are making my assistant's daddy's Sunday sauce. For this recipe, you will need four cans of crushed tomatoes, two cans of peeled plum tomatoes, 
chopped basil, cloves, garlic, nutmeg, one and a half or two onions, ground beef, and ground pork. You could also use ground veal, but my mom is picky, so we don't use it. Olive oil, and red wine, assistant daddy's favorite. Now we're gonna start cooking. First, I need to get my assistant, daddy. Sunday sauce your favorite? Yes. Yeah. Why do you like why is it your favorite? Well now we're gonna heat up the onions. Huh. Sunday sauce is my favorite because I like pasta. Right. And I'm Italian. Speaking of which, do you know how you got your name? Yes. No. No? How'd <laughs> you think of the idea? Uh, we told you the name because when you were born, mommy and daddy didn't have a name for you yet. We couldn't decide. You knew that? I knew that story. I knew that part. So then when you came out, you looked like a little Italian meatball. Oh, so we knew that it had to be something Italian. So we went with Francesca. And then once you started talking and you were so sassy, that's how you became Frankie. Okay. So now we're gonna let this heat up and then we'll start cooking the, the tomatoes. Okay? Tomatoes. Alright. Okay, now we're ready to add the tomatoes. But Daddy's gonna squeeze into the pot and drop them in his Olympic wear. Now my assistant Daddy's gonna add the crushed tomatoes. After Daddy adds all the crushed tomatoes, he's going to add spices to taste. Good job. Now Daddy's going to cook the meat halfway, and then he's going to cook it the rest of the way when it's in the sauce. It's a wow! After letting the sauce simmer for one to two hours, the longer the better, Make sure to stir it, and don't forget, don't let Karen touch the sauce. Manja! Thank you, Frankie, and thank you, Linda, for doing another great job. Thank you for allowing me to be your assistant. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to our sponsor, Rocky Boots, who's now offering a discount code for our listeners. So go to rockyboots.com and enter FIRE25 to get 25% off your purchase. You can join the squad now at patreon.com slash the firefighters podcast. Subscribe at the firefighters.us. Be sure to leave us five stars. We're powered by righteous media. Well, folks, as the mandates get lifted across the country, it's important that you remain vigilant and taking care of yourselves. So be careful. Get back out there. And as always, stay low, my friends. Powered by Righteous Media.